Wherefore burn, poor and lonely, as one needy brand? Wherefore burn, torches together, hand in hand. He who feels deep within fire burning bright, he must through that glow with his brother's night. Wherefore burn, poor and lonely, as one needy brand? Torches together, hand to hand. So that hymn text is by a man named Otto Salomon, who was a member of a German Christian community in the early 1920s called the Bruderhof. And that's all I have to say about that. Joel. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What a good one. (laughs) Amazing. Um, Well, okay, so so there's there's a ton of history here, and I, I'm not gonna get into all of it. Um, I think it's you know it's interesting. It's definitely worth looking into. You know, sometimes uh, when when I tell people sort of like what I did my PhD on, someone will ask why Germans, like why not American theology? And the reality is that most American theology is rehashing of German theology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the, the Germans were extremely, extremely, extremely influential on Protestant Christianity, and there really is no escaping that. So it may seem odd for those, for people who are not really that familiar with Christianity or don't know this history, mm-hmm. you know, why was Aaron potentially involved with or getting involved with or interested in this German community. Bruderhof means brother house, essentially. Right. Yep. Um, and, and so, you know, I mean, the reason is that there's the, the theology and, and the Christian practice of uh, Protestant continental Europeans was extremely influential on American Christianity. So I just want to say a couple of things about that history in in part because it i think it helps to explain in some ways the kind of thing that Aaron was drawn to in mm. Christianity and and why he may have been drawn to evangelicalism in in some ways so the bruderhof is rooted in a much much broader older movement in uh protestant christianity known as pietism pietism emerged out of Lutheran Christianity in the 17th century. Um, The person mostly responsible for this is a guy named Philip Jakob Spener, um, who wrote a book, little, real little thin book called Pia Desideria, um, which means pious desires in Latin. Um, It's actually quite a beautiful book. You know, if you are a person of faith, I recommend reading it. Um, it's, I think, resonant e- even today. But the, the key thing about uh, pietism is, is this focus on what's called sanctification, right? Becoming holy, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, Luther had introduced this problem to Christianity while at the same time he was solving another problem, right? So the problem was, you know, how can you know that you are saved, Right. In the Catholic tradition, Luther thought you can never know that you are saved and it creates this anxiety. You you never know if you've done enough. And the reality is for Luther, you can never do enough. Right. There's nothing you can do except accept the free gift of grace that God has given to you through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. That's how you're saved, according to Luther. 
But this then creates a problem. Like, okay, if there's nothing that you can do to be saved, why do anything good at all? <laughs> right? I mean, mm -hmm. if good works don't matter, essentially, for your salvation, then why bother being good? Just accept the free gift of grace and then go about fornicating and drinking and doing whatever the heck you want. Um, Murder. And so, I mean, Luther, <laughs> Luther had his own response to this, but one of the ways that this problem or a response to this problem develops is in the form of pietism, right? This idea that a Christian, someone who is truly a Christian, is going to be initiated into this process of holiness. And that doesn't mean that it, that's distinct from salvation. I'm not going to get into the specific theological distinction, but the idea is that you, as a person, are becoming more and more sanctified, more and more holy. And the way that you do this, according to Spainer, is through deep biblical study in a community with other Christians who can hold you accountable. This is really the origin, uh, you know, for those of you who grew up in the church, of small groups, of Bible study, right, of being mm. in a community with other believers who help you in your, in this process of sanctification. The pietist tradition has a very, very deep, wide-ranging influence on a lot of stuff. A lot of major German philosophers were pietists or were raised in the pietist tradition, including people like Immanuel Kant. And it that deeply influenced the development of their philosophy. This idea of kind of progressive sanctification is in many ways baked into Western culture now. And so, you know, without getting too deep into the weeds any more than I already am about like how this migrated over to uh, to the U.S. Um, it eventually did through various channels find its way over here. I will share just one quick story just because it's uh, an interesting story. So the, the Wesley brothers, John and Charles Wesley, um, who John Wesley is the founder of what's called Methodism and the so-called Wesleyan tradition. So hugely influential denomination of Christianity. Um, if you live on the East Coast like I do, there are Methodist churches literally everywhere. Yeah, There's this story that, that John Wesley wrote about in his journal, um, where in 1735, he and his brother were on their way over to uh, America to proselytize to Native Americans. And they were on this, where this is going, right? No, well, no, they, <laughs> I'll just say their, their missions trip was an abject failure. They returned to the UK after just two years. They, they were <laughs> failures, but the important thing that uh, for Wesley about this trip was actually the, the boat ride from the UK to, uh, to the U S uh, or what would eventually become the U S it wasn't the, the colonies, US yet, the colonies yeah. right. They, so they're on this boat. And they, the boat runs into a storm in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And all of the, uh, the English who are on the boat are wailing and crying and throwing their hands up. They think they're going to die, including the Wesley. And below deck are a group of German uh, Christians called Moravians. And the Moravians predate even the Reformation. So they're from even before the Pietists, but they become sort of merged with the Pietist mm -hmm. tradition. And there's a whole story about 
about that. But roughly two decades before this, the Moravians essentially become pietists and become hugely influential on the pietist tradition. Anyway, the Moravians are below deck and they are singing hymns. They're not screaming. They're not crying. They don't seem to be afraid at all, even as ocean water is pouring into the cabins below deck. And eventually the storm subsides and everyone lives. And Wesley was so struck by this because he thought to himself, this is a faith that I have never, ever, ever seen before, right? This, uh, these people who are just utterly unafraid uh, to die because of their faith in God. And it took a couple of years, but that experience for Wesley, you know, is what eventually led him and his brother to essentially rededicate themselves to Christ uh, after they had returned back from their failed missions trip, uh, you know, eventually found Methodism, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So the, the Bruderhof is related to these kind of intertwined German evangelical, early proto-evangelical movements. So th that is a kind of interesting thing, I think. And this kind of dedication to living in community. Well, I will say that the, the Bruderhof were affiliated for a long time with the Hutterites, who are sort of the forerunners of the Amish and uh, Mennonite communities. And Broke with them in 1995, I think. Yeah, hmm. um, but but there, you know, this idea of living in intentional community stems from the Pietist conviction, right? That you need other believers around you to to be in community with to kind of help you along your journey, your journey to being sanctified. Um, and so, I think that the you know kind of the key things to sort of home in on there are just like the kind of emotional aspects of this. Yeah. The fact that it's, yes, it's about sanctification, but it's about achieving that in this kind of close relationship with other believers, right? With other, with other Christians who are on the same yeah. journey as you. So there's a kind of closeness there. Um, and, and the, you know, if you read the book Torches Together, which is written by Emmy Arnold, who's the, the wife of the founder of the Bruderhof communities, right? She is, she emphasizes that very much, right? This mm -hmm. community, this kind of like brotherly love, right? That they share in this community. So my um, brother in Christ, <laughs> right? Yes, yeah. exactly. So, you know, so that's the, uh, that's kind of the, the shortest version I can give, <laughs> I guess, of the, uh, of, of the background here, but, um, but pietism, pietism, super important. And I think you can, you can see, right. It's not, um, because it's this more like emotional kind of feeling side, of yeah of christianity right it's not about like rationality it's not about proofs for god's existence or something right it's not about systematic theology right it's about yeah. a kind of emotional experience in community and um i think you can you can see some of that or or, or at least wrestling with that idea uh in a lot of um aaron's lyrics
So let's zoom in on Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love, right? 2004. <laughs> and talk about this song, Torches Together, that that sort of spins out of the texture of this Bruderhof hymn and the ideas of this community. What a great opening track. It yeah. stands up against anything else is just it does just an explosion into your imagination as soon as the music starts to play. Yes. The beginning sound of this album is a mystery to me. <laughs> I'm sure to many of you who play the guitar, you hear it and you know that it's a guitar. And that's about it. I, I don't know how to produce the sound that happens. There's kind of a hum of feedback. Yeah. And then there's this yeah. mysterious thing that happens afterwards that I cannot, like, I, I have no physical instincts or for what to do <laughs> with my hands or what to do with my feet on a pedal to produce this mm -hmm. sound. But I would invite you as the listener, when you hear this album beginning to hear this odd opening noise that comes out of, of the guitar as a kind of a, a canine growl. Mm. And so if you've just sat down to experience something called catch for us, the foxes, I think it's really exciting to feel the threat of this Fox right there as the thing begins. Wow. Yeah. I like that image a lot. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really glad that you brought up the idea of, of threat uh, because we talked about, with bullet to binary, right? This kind of ominous opening, right? Mm -hmm. yes. And I do think that there is also an ominous tone here, but yeah. then the way that the song actually proceeds is completely different because you don't get this hit into an explosion into the track. No. You just ease into that first verse. In, in a real way, it's like the waves of, of people joining in in a communal song. Mm -hmm. Like the, the mm. song builds in a way that you would as as a chorus would start to, you yeah. know, you'd have like the leading singers, like maybe a soprano coming in with some initial notes and then and the tenors and the basses come in and really mm -hmm. fill it and fill it all. And those inner voices uh, really come in to fill it in. And that's what you get with this song. Yeah. And there's a, a hope that's a counter to the threat that you get of in that initial grating. Even, even when the percussiveness of the guitar and the drums and the bass come in, it's grating. But then there's this hope when you get to... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Finally, the chorus is, is just this breath of fresh yeah. air. So we'll build yeah. to that point. But in this Definitely. opening music, before we even get to the, the first question, why burn poor and lonely? Mm -hmm. After that growling guitar, we get this drum beat that from the moment I heard this album the first time until today, I can never listen to this without thinking that this sounds like a cheerleading chant. Yeah. <laughs> right? Sure. Yeah. Bump, bump. It's like, yeah. you know, and then everyone says, let's go at the end in the last two. Yeah, beats. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and there's and there's hand claps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Later on in the song. So it's yeah. so percussive throughout. Yeah. 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 So so we get this odd pulling environment of like initial 
ambiguity and then this threatening sound and then all of a sudden we're at a pep rally and we should be like amped <laughs> up and excited for something mm -hmm. um and then these kind of stabbing guitar lines like these these little punches mm -hmm. come in um and it's not chords nobody's chunking out a chord progression here it's just these nope. little stabs of sound on, yeah. on top of of this pep rally drum beat um, and that's and that, and that, I think that that's that post-punk, yes. post-rocky thing, right, that I was talking about in the last episode, single, right? That's single what, string, right, staccato, yeah. Yeah. So that sets us up for the question, why burn poor and lonely under a bowl or under a lampshade? Or on the shelf beside the bed where at night you lay turning like a door on its hinges. I mean, the thought just, just spills out first on your left side, then on your right side, then your left side again. And it doesn't oh. even conclude. What a yep. weird way to structure a verse. It's a, it's a question that, that just kind of meanders until it stops. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that we, like, I really just want to dwell on on sort of the craft of this verse for a moment. It's, it's biblical. I mean, we just talked about Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. Like, it sounds like that. <laughs> like, yeah. It, it yeah. Sounds... Well, so, I mean, so we, uh. talked, we talked so much in the Everything is Beautiful episode about the idea of metaphysical conceit. And yes. for those of you who didn't listen to season one or, you know, tr having trouble remembering back that far, I'll just remind everybody what that is. Metaphysical conceit is a style of metaphorical writing, poetic writing, right? That uh, focuses on the use of metaphors that are unusual, mm -hmm. metaphors that you would not normally jump to as a kind of like any kind of stock metaphor so things like you know love is like a rose or you know so you know that kind of thing um or talking about the warmth of love or something like that yeah those are that is not metaphysical conceit right those are kind of the stock sorts of metaphors that you are that everyone in western culture especially are familiar with right a metaphysical conceit is the construction of an image right that gets sort of strung out in this extended way to to stand in for something else so in the everything is beautiful episode we talked about uh the john dunn poem a valediction forbidding morning uh in which dunn who is considered one of the greatest if not the greatest of the quote metaphysical poets right a person uh, who really you know, essentially invented this idea of metaphysical conceit, mm -hmm. right? Um, and his metaphor of the compass, right? That the two lovers who are departing are like the two feet of a compass drawing a circle, right? And he goes on for multiple lines with, or, or I think even multiple stanzas about how the compass sort of like leans away and then comes back to end where it begun, right? It's an image and yeah. language that Aaron uses again and again throughout, you know, many different songs. Um, and so in A to B life, Aaron has some beautiful 
beautiful, beautiful poetic images. Yes. But he doesn't have this level of uh, the use of metaphysical conceit. And as I said in that episode, I think that this kind of metaphorical writing, this metaphysical conceit, is it becomes Aaron's style. This is something that he is going to use again and again and again and again throughout where you have like entire songs that are just these like metaphors that, you know, are these very strange metaphors that somehow make sense. Right. And so the the torches, right. is not his, right. That's not his metaphor. That's, uh, you know, the, the hymn writers, uh, metaphor, but he uses that to then build, right, his own, you know, his own yeah. metaphors. And so, you know, Stephen, what you're saying about this line about the door on its on its hinges turning first on its left side and then on its right side, right? That's what I mean by extended, right? He doesn't just say, you're like a door on its, its hinges, period, right? right? He tells you what it's like. Mm-hmm. First, it turns on its left side, and then its right side, and then its left side again. Right, so it's that. That is what I like. I really want to like hammer that. Like how crucial that kind of writing style is going to become for the rest of me without use catalog. Aaron Absolutely. has in this with this very first verse. It, he's like it's clicked. He's yeah. found it. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's mm-hmm. found something that he did not have with A to B life that he now has and will have moving forward. And not only he, not only has he found it, but I would also say the band has found it. We talked about this in the previous episode. There's this like drawing out of, of the, th- of the techniques that the whole band is using. Like we're seeing that in the buildup to these first lines with the use of the cheerleader kind of pep rally vibe, yeah. the weird yeah. sounds coming out of the guitars, the atypical, you know, it's not atypical in the, in the milieu of the other music that's going on, but atypical for this band. If all you've heard is a to B life, sure. it's kind of weird to hear these strange plucking, notes that are very staccato very yeah kind of just where are they coming from yeah i think you yeah. do you do have a tiny little hint of that on a to b but yeah. it's not nearly as it's not a, it's not a left turn like kid a was after okay yeah, computer right 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 to to reference radiohead for the mm-hmm. umpteenth time in every episode oh man i just gotta say right now because because we're talking about a to b life and uh, and Kid A, we never said mm-hmm. this in the last season, I don't think. I, I'm strongly suspicious that that Kid A had something to do with those two instrumental tracks. Mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that's I, all I have to say. <laughs> well, we, we have direct evidence that Mike Weiss is a huge Radiohead fan. So it at least was in their mind like, oh, yeah. We could just have instrumental tracks. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the idea that I love the idea that Mike suggested that, and that that ended up shaping the whole feel of the album and how it's played out. It's like, well, why don't we do this this cool Radiohead yeah. thing here and split it up that way? 
Yeah. Anyway, that has nothing to do with torches together. (laughs) Uh, Well, no, but it goes back to the rhizome metaphor from the previous episode. That's a small little root system that Radiohead and bands like them planted for other bands to harvest from. So that's so incredible. So just to, to, oh, go ahead, Stephen. No. Okay. (laughs) No. Um, (laughs) To continue with what Joel was saying about using other people's work to still craft your own unique metaphor. So why burn poor and lonely is a direct line uh, uh, from the hymn that we read at the top of the episode, but under a bowl or under a lampshade is then a reference to the sermon on the Mount, which is a really cool mixed use of metaphor that then gets just blown out of proportions with this assertion of like a door on its hinges. Yeah. Uh, it happens so, so cool. smoothly and so fast. So smoothly. You don't even notice yeah. that they're two separate things, but he just mm-hmm. finishes yeah. the phrase from this hymn with this reference to the Sermon on the Mount that isn't part of the hymn originally. Exactly. I mean, it's, you could yeah. you could argue that it's related that that Jesus imploring people that they are the light of the world right. has a distance definitely informs this Christian community talking about being torches together, but still mm-hmm. The, the wording isn't there and Aaron puts it there seamlessly. Which yes. if I could read the part from Matthew yeah. 5, 15, 16, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven, which is just, I'm not a person of faith, but holy cats, is that a cool <laughs> assertion? Because it, it, it goes to something that I've been thinking about since we started talking about the Bruderhof, which is the sometime, the completely diametrically opposed assertion of human psychology that is extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation. The thing that motivates us most innately as humans must come from within. But for most humans, with the some people who fall somewhere in psychopathy spectrum uh, serving others, doing good works makes you feel good. Your brain is literally wired to make you feel better when you serve others, when you shine your light upon the world, when you put it on stand and bring the light to everyone in the house. Right. And so that's where, where you're going, where you were going earlier, Joel, with the, the brotherly love, concepts of the Bruderhof like that's just being human in in a sense (laughs) right well yeah I mean it's to put it back into the the context of like pietism and stuff right it's Mm -hmm. part of the process right the way that the pietists read something like this is that the light shines brightest it'd be it shines brighter and brighter as you are in this process of sanctification right? right and then you know the Bruderhof Right. Are saying, you know, why don't don't be a light in some ways they're adding on a little bit to uh, this uh, these verses from Matthew. Right. Because Jesus is saying, you know, a light singular. Yes. Um, But the Bruderhof are saying, no, don't you know, we're going to be torches together. We're going to be lights together. Right. Right. So so this this process, the shining of the light these good deeds, this this glory you're bringing to God, don't do that alone, right? We mm-hmm. we'll do it together, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. 
I suspect, although I, I don't read Greek and I don't have, you know, a literal translation in front of me, that the you in Matthew 5.14 of you are the light of the world is probably right, a yeah. you plural. Y'all are the light of the world. That nobody <laughs> translates the Bible that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. They yeah. should. Um, <laughs> no, no, you're, you're probably right. But regardless of if it's you singular, it, regardless of how specific that you is, light works. Light standing as an individual as soon as the beam of that light intersects with another there's bright yeah that intersection is brighter well and yeah the thing that the two were individually the thing that's so amazing about this image and and maybe we can meditate on this more when we get down to the chorus is the um the fact that it's not a zero-sum game there's so much of life where anything that is transferred from one place to another incurs an immediate loss and to hold up one torch to another and light it does not diminish the light of the first one, but it only adds to the second one. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a great continuation of the metaphor too, because specifically with fire to create the light, you are burning physical matter to mm-hmm. create the energy <laughs> to, yep. to make that. The, so that's, but in the context of things that only exist to produce light, you're only adding to the thing. You're only well, making the thing more of itself. And that, that focuses back in on the initial question. Why burn, why burn poor and lonely? The question isn't why burn? That's not even on the table. But if you're burning, yeah. why why do it poor and lonely? And I feel like yes. this opening line, even if you if you let it stand alone without the rest of the verse or the rest of the song, stands as almost like a thesis statement for the album it's a question that hangs over the rest of the songs Mm. from here on out Mm. he's almost asking himself or or whoever he's or i think in this song i actually think he's addressing us as the audience that's how it feels to Mm. me and that is totally unique i agree there's nothing in in a to b life to me i mean there may be brief moments Y'all feel me? <laughs> Maybe yeah, like yeah. in in bullet to binary. Uh, yeah. But by and large, that album is a self-contained unit that doesn't open up to an audience to us and address right. us directly. But I feel like the, there's no you in the first statement. Why you? Where? Well, in the in the original hymn, right? Is it? Um, nope. There's nothing there too. It's just wherefore instead of why. In any case, mm-hmm. he's talking to us. But in the album, I feel like this song is going to hang over and keep asking this question to him, too. Yeah. 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 So the point you were just making there, Stephen, to tie it back to the the hymn we started with, as one meaty brand. So a a brand is, you know, a a piece of filament, basically, that's that's burning, right? And it it needs more fuel to keep going. So in a Mm. sense... To be lonely is to completely burn yourself burn out. out. Into, yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I just kind of wanted to like close read these lines where, so we, we are under a bowl or under a lampshade or on the shelf beside the bed yeah. where at night you lay turning like a door on its hinges. The, the thing that's so incredible about that little sequence, right, is that it so seamlessly moves from one metaphor to 
the next, yeah. right? From the from the lamp, from the from the light burning, right? Almost taking to, three metaphors and creating one out of them, right? And and but also they're it, it's they're referencing the same the same thing in a sense, right? Because yes. the the person laying in bed, right, is also lonely, right? Yes. Turning and turning and turning and turning. I mean, my wife will tell you that I, you know, even though she sleeps beside me, I still turn and turn and turn <laughs> and sometimes kick her and, you know, yeah. whatnot. Um, but, but to me, like that, you know, this idea of, you know, laying in bed and turning like a door on its hinges, right? It's because you're alone, right? Mm. Um, that's, that's how I see that. Again, it's continuing this metaphor of, of loneliness, um, but it's just so seamlessly within oh, this yeah. room. Yes. Switches because, from the light to the shelf to a person laying in bed. Just as a funny aside, I mean, I have young children, but I also I used to work at a, at a preschool for a while. And I remember like during story time, this would happen every day. The kids, you flip a page and all the kids wanted to identify who they were on the page. They would point it out and start yelling like, <laughs> oh, I'm that one. They would like describe the character. Oh, yeah. And they want so much to see themselves in the story. And mm-hmm. so if you imagine a storybook opening up with a, a nightstand with a, a lamp on it and then a person laying in a bed on two opposing pages and you imagine people pointing up, you can point and say, that's me on the light on the nightstand and that's me as the person on the bed at the same time. And it's just yeah. within one breath, you get that unfolding of identification within this verse. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All I wanted to add there is, so we get the bowl image and the lamp. Mm-hmm from Sermon on the Mount. But the lamp shade and the shelf beside the bed is mm-hmm. also pulling us into a modern, it con- is. a more modern yes. context. Yes, Because you don't have electric lamps in biblical times. No. And I at least admit, or, e- or even oil lamps to the extent that you have a shade over them and things like that in biblical times. No, I think you imagine like a- Aladdin's like little genie lamp, but instead of made of metal, it's made of clay or something. It's just a little yeah. oil, a little mm-hmm. tiny opening for the flame to come up. Exactly. Yep. There's no yeah, yep. there's no shade on that. <laughs> yeah, no. <exactly. laughs> Would be a bad idea. <laughs> yes, exactly. Horrible, in yeah. fact. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so how fascinating that it's also contextualizing us yes. in the same way that you were just saying. Yeah. I can see myself all the more because while still giving me this both biblical and somehow still 19th century feel. Yep. Sure. I can also mm-hmm. see this being like, there's my shelf over there. My yeah. bed's in the other room. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, and the shelf beside the bed sort of swaps out and takes the place of instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. It's still a piece of furniture. It's an architectural feature where the, the light yep. sits, except when Jesus is saying this in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about a light that is shared by everyone. And Aaron takes it and replaces that with a very personal source of light that's right by this spot that you are alone. Yeah. In the last season, I, I mentioned this book that I find totally fascinating called The Master and His Emissary by Ian McGilchrist. It's a book about the human brain and about the history of Western civilization. And he talks about this ideal sort of working of the human mind is that we take things in through our right hemisphere as a gestalt whole, let our left hemisphere process them, make plans with them, and then send it back to the right hemisphere to actually engage with the real world, not just the world we're constructing in our heads. Hmm. Of course, the way that the human body and all sorts of other animal bodies work is that the hemispheres of the brain are cross-linked to the sides of the body. And so here we have this image of somebody 
moving from their left side to right side to their left side again, to me, I'm just, <laughs> because I love that book so much, I'm primed to see rights and lefts pop out as, as things like this. <laughs> and so we have this no. like right brain, left brain, right brain happening on the left side, right side, left side of the body mm. as this person is sort of moving through life, but not going anywhere, right? The hinges hold it to a, a stationary mm. post. Mm. And that's going to tie into the next verse. second verse begins why burn <laughs> yeah. poor and lonely tell all the stones we're going to make a building will be cut into shape and set into place or if you'd rather be a window i'll gladly be the frame reflecting any kind words will let in all the blame and ruin our reputation all the same so never mind our plan making we'll start living anyway aren't you unbearably sad then why burn so poor and lonely oh man so what new images do we get here oh boy well, I think one of certainly one of the most memorable lines again of of all of me without you's catalog is if you'd rather be a window, I'll gladly be the frame. Yeah. Um, but you know, to to back up a little bit, right? The stones. I, I've always liked the sto- the the line. Tell all the stones we're going to make a building. Yeah. Yeah. Just the way that that he delivers you know, delivers it. Um, it's just, yeah, it's a great, it's a great line. But, but yeah, both his delivery, like the diction of, of his mm-hmm. delivery, but also just let's look at that. The close reading again of this, tell all the stones we're going to make a bill. So we're going to make a building. We, the, the, the person addressing the stones is making that claim. But then in, within the next line, we'll be cut into mm. shape. So I am also a stone now yeah. mm-hmm. and set into place. So you are both the actor, you're both the stonemason and the raw material. Hmm. And then that metaphor continues into the, or if you'd rather be a window, I'll gladly be the frame. So you, you, if you want to be this, I'm not simply calling a window an inanimate object. I'm just starting there. If you want to be this inanimate object, I'll be the continuation of that. The thing that is needed to contain it. A window can't exist without a frame. Yeah. And then together we'll reflect any kind words, but let in all the blame, which is and ruin our reputation all the same. That, that (laughs) those three lines right there, reflecting any kind words, letting all the blame, ruining our reputation. What a perfect emo moment in this song (laughs) and album. Like that is such a nice little, it's beautifully crafted of course, but it has that self-referential self-effacing. Yeah. Yeah, play to it <laughs> that um, a lot of emo music does. Let me just say a word about where I think this image is is jumping off of one from the Bible, because of course mm-hmm. this whole song is wrapped up in this idea of this this Christian community. In Ephesians, Saint Paul says, "For he himself is our peace, who made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility." By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, 
and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you were no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Hmm. Wow. So Paul's working this metaphor hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's super interesting because if that is, and I, you know, I think that that is a totally fair interpretation of, of this reference. And it's interesting then that the narrator in the song is, you know, it, <laughs> it sort of set himself up with this other, this you uh, to be this like defective part. Yeah. Right. Of the, of yes. the building, of the temple. Um, yeah. yeah to, there's, there's there's a crack yeah. in this wall. Yeah. Somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right. This is me nerding out. But because I think it has some something to do with this moment, this metaphor, and, and also giving credit where credit's due, I think I haven't seen this in a commentary, but just looking at it, I think this image that Paul is using here in, in his letter to the Ephesians, he's probably got. Ezra Nehemiah on the brain, like I'm sure all of you listening to this show do right now. Um, uh, (laughs) uh, This, this is this, uh, this is book from, from near the end of the Hebrew Bible about the return from exile and the problems that come up with the people that were exiled to Babylon and those that got left behind and intermarried with other people. And there's all these conflicts within the community uh, about Mm. who's in, who's out. And, through this whole process, literally a, a new temple is being built and a wall is being built around that temple. And, and these conflicts about who's in and who's out drive the animosity of, of this whole part of the text. There's a super significant line in, in uh, Nehemiah 4.3, which I'm sure is at least somebody's favorite memory verse out here. So in this kind of pair of books, Ezra and Nehemiah, Zerubbabel has built the temple. Ezra has tried to start teaching the Torah again in the temple. Then Nehemiah comes along and decides he wants to build a wall around it all. Uh, he feels like they're not going to be safe unless they do. And these, these locals who are distantly related or not to the Israelites who were in exile 70 years prior um, are mocking him for trying to build a wall around the city. And so this is just one of the many taunts that comes out from these people who are complaining that <laughs> Nehemiah is, is making a, a stupid choice. Here we go. Nehemiah 4.3. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Hmm. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. And that immediately takes me to the line in the song and ruin our reputation all the same. Like, like there's this feeble effort being made and it's just going to fail. And the reputation just isn't there. Oh man. So lest yeah, you forget so, that growl at the opening of the song. <laughs> yep. And so it's interesting though, you know, okay. So they've, you know, they've reflected the kind words they've led in the blame. They've ruined their reputation. 
But then the narrator says, okay, but then because of that, never mind our plan making. Yeah. We'll start living, right? And by the way, aren't you sad? So let's just <laughs> be like torches, right? So yeah. it, it it doesn't, you know, even though it it's sort of, um, <laughs> right, there's this chink in the in the wall and in, in the this this crack in the the wall of the building right yeah the chink in the armor finger in the dike yeah, yeah. right um <laughs> yeah that it turns out is actually not necessarily a bad thing and then the you know it, it's almost like sort of acknowledging right there the the humanness right the that the church exactly. the church the building right it, it can't be perfect right people are going to um are going to falter. They're going to to fail, but the important thing is to not burn poor and lonely, yeah. right? To instead be like torching. Because at the end, then of the chorus, he says, "With whatever respect our tattered dignity demands, torches together hand in hand." So that tattered dignity, right, is the the ruin of their reputation. That's yeah. how I read that from the yeah. from the oh, yes. verse right before, right. Well, and, and just to affirm exactly where you were going, if all you're doing is making plans and you never start living, yeah. it, it, it's some way to figure out what you're meant to be in this building. Because this whole second verse, this whole second chunk of text is essentially a, a building metaphor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In order to be the thing you need to be in the building, if the world is the building, some point you have to start being it instead of worrying about figuring out exactly what you are supposed right. to. You can't keep drawing the blueprints and redrawing yeah. them and redrawing exactly. them and redrawing them. You have to make the building. And it's worth noting that uh, other than the line, why burn poor and lonely, the question that comes back, the rest of this verse up until, up until, so never mind our plan making is all in the future tense. Tell us stones. Mm-hmm. We're going to make a building. We'll, we'll be cut into shape and set into place. Yep. If you'd rather be, I no, will gladly, I will gladly be the frame. We'll let yep. in all the blame and ruin reputation all the same. And then there's a cut. So never mind our plan making, all this future right. tense business. We'll start living. Yeah. And as soon as he says the line, we'll, we'll start living, then all of the artifice of the poetry disappears. Anyway. And then it's just right. conversational. Anyway, aren't you unbearably sad? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> what a moment. But I love, oh, man. I love that moment too, though, because... It's a great poignant moment of like, aren't you unbearably sad because we've spent so much time fixating on what could be, what should be, yeah. instead of just doing, instead of just going, being the light again? I, yeah. I, I think the light is the ultimate yeah. thing we're trying to yep. be here anyway. Yep. So, so then we launch into the chorus. Which is the most complex thing we could ever read. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We'll be like torches, we'll be like torches, we'll be like torches, oh! We'll be torches together, torches together. We'll be like torches, we'll be like torches. With whatever respect our tattered dignity demands, torches together, hand in hand. It's different than the hymn. The hymn says yeah, hand, hand to hand. 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 Right, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I, think, I think the line speaks for itself. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's such There's a powerful not much, really not much interpretation. We've already, yeah. I mean, we've already explained what torches together means, right? We yeah. spent yes. so much time talking yeah. about it, and we then did. we covered the, you know, what the um, tad, tatter dignity is. Yeah, and, you know. Yeah, the thing that's yeah. remarkable to me about this chorus, other than that, it is just such a, a satisfying arrival when it hits, mm-hmm. is that 
it is an anthem that doesn't repeat. Yes, mm. that I will. I have to say that actually when I first heard this, this record that that bothered me, <laughs> I wanted I did not like the alternate. I mean, whether we call it a bridge or I mean, I still think the strum, the guitar is is a chorus. It's just different words, different lyrics, but it's yeah. the same same feel. But it that it always bugged me. Yeah, because I wanted that. I wanted the torches to come back, and it yeah, does. It, it doesn't bother that. me anymore. But yeah, that was one thing that like kind of rubbed me the wrong way a yeah. little bit. When true when confession, I, I don't think it occurred to me till yesterday that the chorus never repeated. <laughs> Apparently, no, no, it didn't no, bother I, me. So I was just that's like, so funny. I, was, yeah. I was just wow. looking at the lyrics and thinking about how to analyze it. I was like, oh, oh, it just happens one time. It's the only time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and that's that's where the beauty of this band's through composition. Yeah comes through is like i forget that like it really that is the chorus it repeats in my mind oh but no it doesn't actually yeah so the other thing about about this chorus is this line our tattered dignity demands or rather in, in the context of with whatever respect our tattered dignity demands it it brings down the strength of the image of torches together by several Mm -hmm. pegs (laughs) um it (laughs) qualifies whatever it means for this community to raise their torches together and share this fire and to move onward and upward and whatever with whatever respect our tattered dignity demands. But more than that, not maybe not more than that at the same time that it qualifies this image in this typical Aaron Weiss self-deprecating way. Yeah. To me, I just want to put a bookmark here and just invite anyone listening to do an exercise with me that this is a good case study for the way that he both wrote and the way he delivers the words our tattered dignity demands to me is the best musical evidence we've got that he was the drummer of this band in some form or another before he stepped out and became the vocalist for it (laughs) that line is just a drum fill played by his mouth (laughs) (laughs) yeah Right? Okay, now this yeah. is dissect. Okay. <laughs> no, that's you're right. He he's delivering it I'm not saying he's rapping, but he is delivering it the way that hip hop artists sure. deliver a lot of their lines. It's very rhythmic. Right. There's so here. like look at all these consonants yeah. just creating well, these like and, yes, and even just the actual consonant sounds, the T's in the word tattered are are unvoiced dentals which is very close in sound to what a snare drum does. Mm-hmm. And then the dignity demands those, those voice dentals, the D's are like a Tom, right? Yeah, exactly. Pattern, dignity demands. You can just see it going around the drum kits. Swirling down. Yeah. 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 Man, yeah, that wow. is so cool. <laughs> well, uh, now I want to listen in and zero in on that, like half a second. I know with his, yeah. him singing. Let me just say that you can do that all over the place. It's a really fun exercise to listen to Aaron's delivery and imagine him drumming with his words. And it's not just this moment. This is a really standout one, but Mm -hmm. you start to find there's places where there's something he's doing rhythmically in the way he delivers the lines 
that maybe parallels what Ricky's doing on the drums in that song, or maybe even parallels what Ricky's doing on the drums in a totally different song. But it feels familiar for some reason. You can't put your finger on why. Mm. It's because he's doing with his mouth what Ricky's doing with his drum kit at some other point on the album. Oh, that's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. These silly little freaks. bit of a a pause for the lyrics musically Mm -hmm. it's not that long but so this is where we get just one of the coolest wind-ups to an explosion to to the the bridge chorus two maybe yeah yeah (laughs) chorus two yeah sure yeah why pluck one string what good is just one note oh one string sounds fine i guess but we were once one notes. We were lonely, weak, quietly ground into grain. What light and momentary pain. So why the safe distance? This curious look. Why tear out single pages when you can throw away the book? Why pluck one string when you can strum the guitar? From the guitar. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it just had um, to be done. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. This, again, I mean, it's just one of the most stunning examples, again, of, of this idea of metaphysical conceit that mm-hmm. Aaron uses. It's utterly masterful. And he also does, he does the same thing that he does in verse one, but better where he <laughs> moves, he strings these different metaphors together that are essentially like metaphors for the same idea, right? Where yeah. he, starts, he starts with the guitar, then he moves to this idea of wheat being ground into grain, then this the metaphor of the book, and then back to the guitar. It's just a beautiful metaphor right it, it and continuing yeah. continuing the you know it's just a new image for 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 the torches and it it's not that it it's not that the guitar metaphor is so odd but it's you know it's something that i think makes intuitive sense when you hear it but it's not something that you're necessarily used to hearing right in this way of yeah. the strings of the guitar working together the way that two torches do right right but there is something about the sounds of multiple strings playing together that is the phrase is that the sum is greater than the parts right it's not just separate notes but but there's actually a way in the physics of the air of how these things interact that creates something more by all of them sounding together than the individual right moving the way the waves literally the sound waves literally work upon each other yeah yeah Yeah. it, it creates something that you can't get just hearing it so if i may (laughs) take this into a totally mythological theological direction but the sound the the sum of the sum of the individual parts is very important to 
you guessed it, folks, J.R.R. Tolkien's entire legendarium. <laughs> the the creation myth is based on oh yes the one true the one true God yeah 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 bringing into being creatures they're angelic beings who are just creatures of his thought initially and then through their song led by his initial theme they create the world that the, the material world so if i may uh the one true god's name is is iluvatar or eru uh, and then so then iluvatar said to them of the theme that i have declared to you i will now that ye make in harmony together a great music and since i have kindled with kindled you with the flame imperishable you shall now show forth your powers in adorning this theme each with his own thoughts and devices if he will but i will sit and hearken and be glad that through your great beauty has been wakened into song and then the ainur come out with sounds like vials and lutes and pipes and trumpets and organs uh into countless choirs mm. i won't continue reading on to there because that's when we get into la la land for me but the point being <laughs> this stuff is just so innately true to all of what it is to be a human like this man wrote that i don't know when he wrote the Ainulindale, which is the section of the book that that's coming from but to me it's just so such a poignant uh continuation of the of this single notes are fine but the continuation and the amalgamation of all of them is what creates, again, it goes back to the, like, let's start living. Yeah. Like, let's start playing the music together. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Yeah. And then the music that, that music that's talked about in that paragraph is called the music of the Ainur. And that ripples out through ever throughout the rest of the legendarium. In fact, like when they hear music in water, mm. that, is a hearkening back yeah. to that original music that created everything. Yeah. And it's just such a lovely, lovely little tie in there. I think of that every oh, time I listen to this. Song. Well, and you also, you also find some similar ideas in some Eastern traditions as well. Taoism, mm -hmm. for instance, has yep. this idea of, you know, well, I mean, a lot of Chinese folk traditions have this idea of a kind of, uh, you know, singular substance, right, that then is structured by the duality of yin and yang, right, and yeah. then differentiated uh, by potentiality and all. I mean, you know, it gets very complicated very quickly, but there is this sense of like, yes, in the kind of the primordial, right, we were yes, once exactly. one notes. Yeah, that just, that sounds very much like Taoism as well. It does. Right, yeah. It does. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think there's certain universal truths that overlap a lot of these. Sure. We're all trying to come to, what, what did we talk about in the previous episode? We're all trying to come to, in the previous episode, we were talking about it in terms of Christian faith, but what is philosophy, Eastern or Western, if not trying to come to like as, as close to a true understanding of what it is to be human, yeah. to, to be here and be alive and interacting with the world? As, as yeah, I mean, I really, I really like that we've sort of blown up this metaphor to the level of cosmology right to like yeah the no, like, like the the creation of the universe like he's not yes. just talking about and i mean in in a way like what you could say is that like this kind of harmonious community right is fundamental to cosmology right yeah. in some ways like this is how we build worlds together 
right? That that there has to be this building of notes, right? There has to be this differentiation. Yes. There has to be. And yeah, I think, oh man, there's so many more things we could say <laughs> about I'm going to take that. it somewhere that sounds like it's going to open up a can of worms. I don't think it needs to, though. But it's it's the concept, like, what does it mean to have good and evil? And there's this, there's, hmm. and the two of you, I'm sure, could talk a lot about this because there's, there's a debate about whether evil is its own if if evil is a positive or a negative and i don't mean that in terms of moralistic i mean like right is evil the absence of good or is evil its own diametric yeah, yeah. opposition right. yeah. to mm-hmm. tolkien deals with that he actually does a really beautiful job of blending the two so he's not really creating a paradox he just finds a way to kind of thread the needle between the two hmm. but the the reason I, I i bring that up is to say like you can't be an individual to be an individual is to be counter to the collective. So the collective has to exist right? in order to acknowledge the individual. So we aren't just single notes. We are part of the tapestry of music or we are one, you know, grain of wheat that grew on a shaft of, of the grass. Right. Like, yeah. Right. Individuality anyway. requires some notion of difference. Right. Mm-hmm. Some some and and not just a notion of difference, but a respect for difference. Right. Right. Um, right. You know, that the, the difference is something that has to be recognized, celebrated, embraced and allowed to flourish. Right. And that and that's yeah. the other thing that's so crucial, I think, about this metaphor. Right. I mean, it's interesting that he. And may, uh, maybe this is a flaw in in the verse potentially, right? But so he he says how we were once. Well, maybe not. I don't know. I, I'm not sure how you guys read this, but let, let's let's go to the sure. the lonely wheat part. So he says yeah. one string sounds fine, I guess, but we were once one notes. We were lonely wheat, quietly ground into grain. What light and momentary pain. Okay, so I want to just pause there and dwell on that. Do you think he's saying that? being lonely wheat ground into grain that like all of that together is the same as being once one note or is being once one note like being lonely wheat but then we were quietly ground into grain and that's a good thing it depends on to me it depends a little bit on what you make of the word light yeah. But generally yeah. speaking, it seems like the, the direction of the song is that being ground into grain is a good thing, that these separate things have now become one, that a wheat germ or wheat seed on a stalk is a separate entity that doesn't do much by itself. But then as soon as it's crushed yeah. with the rest, then it becomes something I useful. Think that's, I think that's where my reading goes to simply because of the following line so why the safe distance this curious look yes i like yeah that safe distance that that conjures up the bells on the camel for me sure 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 again Mm -hmm, like like we need to be intrinsically linked right that's better i think yeah i think for me the 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 weakness of this metaphor is that like ground grain is one note it's one thing you know you know what i mean like you're removing the individual individuality. In the yeah. Sense. So it's different from the guitar. I mean, I get it like as a metaphor for like 
in general sort of like coming yeah. together to create something bigger than the than the individual parts for sure yeah but yeah in the guitar metaphor you still have the the, the complexity of the fact that we're talking about different strings we're talking about different notes we're talking about um you know you're not going to you can't you can't pluck well, you can pluck the same the same note, uh, obviously, you know, on different strings, using different frets. But yeah, you, you're with the guitar metaphor. You're you're not necessarily doing that, right? It. Mm-hmm. He's talking about more than one note, but then the grain to me always, you know, as I was kind of thinking about this first, I was like, yeah, but grain, like all those seeds, all the lonely wheat ground into grain the grain then becomes, it's not quite the same thing as the guitar. Sure. Well, but, but that's maybe being too picky. Maybe so. And, and <laughs> it, it, just, well, it depends on whether you think of a chord as being a new singular substance or a combination of other things. Well, see, I think and in a sense, it's both. Yeah. That's what yeah. I was going to say. I think it's both. I mean, like I, I just in terms of like, as a kind of like micro social theory in a way, this is, this is, what makes a community, I think, the strongest, right, is when yeah. difference is recognized and allowed to coex- to coexist, right? I think I got That's it. What I think makes... I fixed it. <laughs> you think there's a reason? I, I think okay. I, I think I fixed in my brain because I see the weakness you're pointing out. Yeah. But okay, so there's a reason, at least in America, we call it whole grain. Because for a while there was a, 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 a process of processing wheat and other grasses to pull away the casing of, of, of the germ, to pull away the shaft, all of that stuff. Whole grain is you're, you're not pulling those things apart. You're putting all the component parts that make the thing wheat or make the mm. thing rye or whatever it is together. And yes, they are no longer those individualistic pieces, but they are now something greater that can then okay. be put into bread, pie crust, uh, yeah, malt yeah. for your beverages, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Like that, that individual substance is made up of many, many component parts. Right. We were talking, we were talking about <laughs> super saturated, like mixtures yeah. and stuff last season. And it reminds <laughs> me of that again. Yeah. Like, sure. This thing is now, you know, I don't know if either of you drank Ovaltine as a kid, sure. but like I drink Ovaltine it in college. When it, I love that stuff. I drink it now <laughs> when I'm when I'm feeling. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> Ovaltine, Ovaltine. This season is also Remember, sponsored by Ovaltine. <laughs> drink your Ovaltine. Drink your Ovaltine. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> I I think that is kind of the point. Is this? there's a melting into oneness that we get throughout the rest of their lyrics. And this is maybe one of the first places that we see. Yeah. No, like sugar pouring into tea. That yes, was last yes, season. Yeah. 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 Yes, yeah. 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 Um, right. Yeah. So, so I mean, I, yeah, I didn't mean to, um, to kind of <laughs> derail us there. I do think that when you have the, you know, in the context of the next lines, what light and momentary pain, I mean, I sort yeah. of read that as coming together to form a community might hurt your, it's going to hurt your individuality, but it's momentary. It's so light and momentary. And and then it's, it's beautiful once it's over, right? That pain. And if you holding on to your individuality comes at the cost of the better outcome of the collective, mm-hmm. is that 
better? Yeah. Like, it, is that the right thing to do? So I think you're right, Joel. Like, it it sucks for a moment to have the thing that you hold the most value. It's kind of like having a conversation. Like, well, I really want to make this point. And I want to make it right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. And then, I, you know, the the next. OK, so then you have the next question. Why this safe distance, this curious look, which I I think, again, in in the light of the previous lines, right, this sort of yeah. reticence, right, to form community, this, you know, because of the potential, the difficulty, the pain, whatever. And then the next lines, why tear out single pages when you can throw away the book? Right. It's to me that I read that I read that as like just just rip off the Band-Aid. Right. Yeah. You are prolonging the agony, you know, the or perceived agony, I guess, by simply tearing out single pages. Right. Just yes. throw the whole thing away. Just get it over yeah. with. Right. And then bringing it back to why pluck one yeah. string when you can strum the guitars. Just amazing. Yeah. Before we get into that chorus two slash bridge section, I want to come back to the word light. I mentioned that to me, I think that the way this mm-hmm. verse functions hinges on that. And I'll just say out of the gate, I, I really do think the most likely and probable reading is that the word light is being used as the opposite of heavy. It's mm-hmm. a, yeah. it's almost, it's a slight and momentary pain is another way you could say it just by adding a letter, yeah. right? It's, it's not much yeah. pain and it doesn't last very long. But of yeah, course the right. word light matters for this song because it's about torches together and torchlight is a pretty significant image we've already established. So if you let the word light mean something illuminating for just a moment, to me that this line has always had this Mm. funny double life in my mind every time I hear it go across because I almost picture wheat being ground but it's like a flint stone or something and there's like sparks coming up. I don't think that really happens ah, when you're hmm. making grain, but, but just because the word light has these double meanings, there's this funny unreal image that comes up in my mind, sure. which also hmm. is problematic. Uh, not only um, for the earlier verse, but for this verse, we have a story from the Bible that is going to complicate this sort of sunny opening to the album. So now I'm going to go to everyone else's other favorite memory verse, Judges 15.4. I'll set this up just <laughs> briefly. That Samson, who's arguably the the biggest jerk in the Old Testament, is, is the whole business with Delilah, I think maybe has already happened at this point. And he's moved on. He finds another woman, sees this, uh, sees this woman who's not from from his tribe, he's not from Israel, who's out in a vineyard, actually. And he sees her, thinks she's beautiful, says, hey, let's get hitched. (laughs) And so he finds this woman in the vineyard, asks her to marry him. His parents aren't so sure about it. The wedding feast is initiated. And somewhere in the mix of that, he like rips a lion to pieces because he's Samson and he does that sort of thing. Pull some, uh, no, they come back by the carcass of the lion and there's honey. (laughs) The bees have made a, like a hive in this lion carcass. It's a weird story. It's really weird. And he pulls pulls them up and just like eats it on the way to his wedding to this woman he's just barely met standing out in a vineyard. 
at the wedding, he decides that he's going to like make the most of the situation. And so he asks this really terrible riddle that is utterly unsolvable to all the people, the wedding guests. He's like, I'm going to take a bunch of your stuff if you can't solve this word puzzle. And then he says something that sounds like a three-year-old would come up with, which is like, what's, what's, it's like a joke, right? From a toddler. What's yeah. sweet. And also I forget exactly the way it's worded. Man, my, I have to, I'm sorry. I just have to say like, my daughter is firmly in this phase <laughs> where like she, she, yeah, she, she has these jokes that make absolutely no sense at all. Yeah. The punchline is just like nonsense. Yes. Um, you know, like why did the chicken cross the road? Because the phone rang on the <laughs> cow and you're like, yeah, what? Yeah. <laughs> So Samson tells one of these jokes, except for that he's just set up the stakes that like a bunch of people, they're going to lose a lot of their property if they don't come up with the nonsense answer that he's devised. <laughs> and they're they're really angry about this. And so they come to this woman that he's marrying and be like, can you just like get him to tell you the answer? Because we don't want to lose all our stuff. This is a really lame move. And so she finds out, tells the answer they get the riddle wrong or whatever. And he gets mad at her storms off. And while he's gone, I promise I'm going somewhere with this. (laughs) While Samson is gone, the host of the feast, I think this woman's dad, it was like, well, yeah, that dude's gone. Anyone else want to marry her? And so like just some other guy at the party ends up marrying this woman instead. And (laughs) Samson cools off. He comes back again, finds that, it's a new season, right? The the vineyard season is over. Now it's wheat harvesting season. He shows up, finds out this woman has been married off to some other dude at the party. And then her dad is like, she has a sister. She's kind of cute. You want to marry her instead? And, he, and Samson is so furious that this has been done to him, that this is the next verse, Judges 15, 4. So he, Samson, went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs then he fastened a torch to every pair of tails no. <laughs> lit the torches and let the foxes no. loose in the standing grain of the philistines oh my oh god, my god. <laughs> what <laughs> wow i don't want to say anything about that because it was just <laughs> Guys, I mean, the conspiracy theories just are writing themselves. Like, it's just there. It's not even a conspiracy theory. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I found at least the... If you Google Samson's Riddle, there's a whole Wikipedia page about it that is not short. Um, Wow. And uh, the riddle is, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> the eater, the lion. Yeah. He ate it and then he produced honey. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Definitely sounds anyway. like one of my daughter's jokes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, hey, that thing that no one else witnessed, I'm going to reference that yeah. and I really hope you get it. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, um, wow. We're not done with Samson in this show, but we are for this episode so we can move on. I, yeah, we just got, we have, we have grain, we have wheat, we have torches, we have foxes. We had to bring it up. Yeah. I couldn't leave it alone. The only thing I'll add, and this is kind of throwaway because it doesn't fit into the metaphysical conceit of the song or the verse, but why tear out single pages when you can throw away the book? 
has always conjured in my mind the debate over what constitutes biblical canon Hmm. between the Catholics and the Protestants, between the Hebrews and and on down the line. And it's just kind of a throwaway idea, but it's a super interesting thought of, again, from Paul's letter. Yeah. The, the the oneness of, of humanity, yeah. bringing together sure. people into one. Mm-hmm. Well, this book that's supposed to do that <laughs> has led to all these divisions. Oh, sure. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, to me, this this image is is the most curious inversion of all the ones that he uses in this song because it's it's a mm. it's a negation, right? It's pulling something out rather than mm-hmm. putting it together. And yes. and and exactly what you're onto there. I mean, when people talk about pulling out one page of the book, I feel like that's even a thing that like in in our cultural conversation that people will say sometimes spe- specifically about the Bible, but maybe about other, yeah. you know, like, I don't know, the Constitution or something like, people, you know, why sure. pick and choose like what what you're going to value as authoritative. Mm-hmm. I could go on a whole diatribe about a theologian I follow on the worst or best social media app. Um, <laughs> Dan Mc. Man, too many C's. <laughs> McLellan, Dan McLellan, which he is at M A K L E L A N on TikTok. He is a great the uh, theology and religion PhD. Sounds like Joel. Um, <laughs> he's a he's a practicing uh, member of the Church of the Latter Day Saints, but is a staunch ally of LGBTQ and Black Lives Matter and things of that nature. So it's this really fun, you know, like me as a non faith uh, believing person. It's like, oh, Mormons. Oh, God. <laughs> and then I hear this guy talking and I'm like, this is the best content I've ever heard. <laughs> um, so it's I, I just wanted to shout his name out because he kind of helps like whenever someone in his comment section has something to say about, well, the Bible says this about homosexuality. He's like, yeah, but did you see this over here? Yeah. But mm-hmm. also this thing about wearing mixed cloth. And uh, it, yeah, yeah. It, it just that yeah, to your point. Well, Steven. and to. To shamelessly bring Kierkegaard into this again, please, um, because We're sponsored by the Kierkegaard estate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, those folks are, are loaded. <laughs> um, no, uh, there's this leading up to this image of the book with the pages being torn out begins with so why this mm-hmm. safe distance, this curious look, and I just want to pull up. Uh, and also just just recommend to you listening, there's a collection of Kierkegaard's writings, if you're curious, just titled Provocations. It's selections from all across his whole output. And they're not always clearly labeled what original source they're coming from. They're not designed as like a scholarly study. It's it's a it's an encouraging like personal devotion type book published by the Bruderhof in 2002. So this is a book that would have mm, been my God. put out by the people that Aaron is deeply interested in while he's writing this album, wow. giving selections from Kierkegaard. <laughs> and we know for a fact there's that Aaron owns this copy of the book and is pretty familiar with it. So if I reference Kierkegaard on this season or maybe future ones, likely I'll be pulling it from that. And it's free online. The Bruderhof just has a PDF you can download if you search for it. Nice. Kierkegaard provocation. So this is a, it's just a, a brief quote from page 86 of that. And here's what he says. To want to admire instead of to follow Christ is not necessarily an invention by bad people. 
No, it is more an invention by those who spinelessly keep themselves detached, who keep themselves at a safe distance. Admirers are related to the admired only through the excitement of the imagination. To them, he is like an actor on the stage, except that this being real life, the effect he produces is somewhat stronger. But for their part, admirers make the same demands that are made in the theater to sit safe and calm. And he goes on and he's talking about how what faith really consists of is not believing the right things, but doing something about it, that to follow Jesus is to act. And so to me, those lines actually flow uh, fairly naturally within that, like Kierkegaard's line of thought, that keeping this safe distance and just trying to understand intellectually what what the proper belief is put keeps you away from from yeah. throughout the book and and back to this you know let's start living like this line from earlier on it's just being fully present and in a sense as we're going to get to wholesale on the first track and album from now this idea of existence for Kierkegaard he has a really weird <sighs> way of using the word exist and and I don't really have a full grasp on it but my sense is that Kierkegaard's idea of being an existing person is someone who is fully engaged with life and not trapped in their own head and just sticking yeah. with their ideas about yeah. things. Yeah. 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 I a hundred percent agree. And uh, just putting a bookmark, I do not want to talk about this now, but we're going to probably spend way more time than we should on that exact concept. When we get to King Beetle mm -hmm. in a few seasons, yeah. that's like, that's, what fills me with such fervor with that song <laughs> is exactly where you were going yeah, there. So. Yeah. Anyway, well, for now, strum the guitar. Yeah, I was going to say, for now we should strum the guitar. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. With no beginning and no ending. <laughs> That's the weirdest line of this, of this section of the song. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's amazing. Take but it's down weird. the guitar. Yep. It is weird. It is really weird. But uh, this whole section is kind of weird. And I love that about it. Well, I mean, so in I think in one one way to think about the with no beginning, no ending is yeah, is to be in community sort of in the moment. I mean, in a sense, I kind of get it. Like if you've ever been part of uh, the start of something. Right. Like uh, mm -hmm. my wife and I, when when we lived in Chicago, when we first moved there, the church that we started going to, like we just kind of stumbled upon this church and ended up going to their like inaugural service. <laughs> like it was a uh -huh. it, it was a, a a new campus of a church that was already established. So there, you know, it was pretty established. But, you know, it was like there were a ton of people there who didn't know each other. Um, who were like, you know, I mean, I was <laughs> had social anxiety and didn't know it yet and wasn't medicated and was like yeah. having a really hard time, like hoping people would just come up to us, but no one did. And I was bummed out about that. Like, it's really hard. And then you, you know, you fast forward like three or four years and you just like, you have your friends, you know, people, people know you. Uh, you're involved, you're doing things, you're in community, right? And then if you fast forward again, like to the end, then then it's over. And so, and, and when you're winding down your time in a community, 
you start like my wife and I did in 2019 when we moved to Virginia. You start you have to start thinking about all these things like these relationships and you're going to break ties and and things are going to end. I mean, with some people it continues, but and so to strum the guitar with no beginning and no end is to is to not have those awkward considerations, right? Yes. Don't think about that. Just be in this moment right now yeah. with those notes, with those chords, strumming out and like yeah, yeah th- that's the that is the heart, that's the meat, right, of being in community. Yeah, it's a it's a very Zen Buddhist moment. What you're, yeah, sure, what you're talking sure. about? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's yeah, that's great. I think that's great. Well, and I think it works. I think it works in two ways. You can talk about it uh, in a in a Zen Buddhist way of being p- present in in a particular moment, not concerned with before and after, and in a more Western linear timescale way. You can also talk this about this as being eternal in a way that this mm-hmm. is something yeah. outside of time. Yep, yep. Uh, yep. And yep. both of those yep. work of having no beginning, yeah, no ending. Totally. Totally, totally. And then, so take down the guitar and strum the guitar. Strum the guitar if you're afraid. Oh, man. And I'm afraid, and everyone's afraid, and everyone knows it, but we don't have to be afraid anymore. Oof. Again, my, my social anxiety brain is like, yes, you're right. That is what you have to do. You have to yep. strum the guitar if you're yeah. afraid. Like, you have to remind yourself that, yes, you're afraid, but everyone's afraid and everyone knows that they're afraid, right? That's what, that's (laughs) what being in a community is. And you don't have to be afraid, right? If you, especially if you find people who care about you and, and are interested in being in community with you, even if you have differences, you know, in terms of your interests or whatever that may be. Yeah. I mean, it also, I mean, to, to put it, I think more in the context of, of the song, I, you know, it's, it's referencing the the light and momentary pain, the you know the the potential fear. It's gonna suck yeah. to be in a new situation with yeah. people that you don't know. Right, totally. it's gonna suck until it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's okay. Well, and then just looking ahead to the coda. I mean, yeah. I think the coda is like a. a re- in, I'm curious to know what you guys think about it, yeah. but to me, it's a reversal or a just a total drop off i guess of this optimism because you suddenly have these images of loneliness um yes so that's no i i'm excited to get there in in just a moment but you know it reminds me of steven i think it was you who shared what is his name who was the founder of the quakers fox um george fox yep 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 george fox and there's a song about him Then you shared that song. And it reminds me a lot of that song, but also the shaker movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I live in a, a suburb of Cleveland right next to Shaker Heights, which is somewhat notable for things like uh, Geraldo Rivera lives there. Uh, <laughs> this season is sponsored by Geraldo Rivera. <laughs> no, 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 not one, not one. <laughs> This is pre-Fox News, yep. Geraldo. <laughs> there, there you go. Um, but anyway, the but the shaker movement of like putting up chairs on the wall mm. and like, and those are the chairs that are used for, you know, it's, it's a whole, there's a practical notion to it too, but it was part of their faith. Like for some reason that the image of taking down something that it's, you need this object to help continue yeah. the action of, of being 
that's really an interesting through line for me. I don't know what you all yeah. think about that. Well, like the Shakers have a direct influence on the on the foundation of the of the Bruderhof too. That's part of the story mm-hmm. and yeah. book torches together. Um, there's mm-hmm. some influence there, so that's that's interesting just to to feel that in it too. Oh, that it's exactly. It was very validating to see that. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, and the idea that. You know what? What the instruction is here is take down the guitar and strum the guitar. Now he's already said strum the guitar several times, but <laughs> but re-emphasizing, no, I'm not like you got to. This start. is not just like a line. I'm telling you, like this is a physical action. Do this thing. Take it down. Start strumming it again. This is like like Kierkegaard's thing about you have to act. Like the, like faith exists yes. in action, not in thought mm-hmm. and belief. But this transition into and I'm afraid and everyone's afraid and everyone knows it. A, yes, I, I feel that through and through. But also, it's, it's a good poetic parallel to anywhere. Aren't you unbearably sad? Like, we had this funny yeah. interruption earlier. You're not mm-hmm. expecting that to flow out of strum the guitar. I mean, just that phrase, strum the guitar if you're afraid. Nobody yeah. else on the planet would ever have put those six words together. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Put music to our troubles. We'll dance them away. Yes. I yes, mean, that yes, comes yes. to mind right here. It does. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And especially with the coda. Yeah. Right. You played the flute and no one was dancing. Yeah. But but also it's it's kind of it's, it's so weird. The strum the guitar moment really feels like a clarion call, like a call to action, mm-hmm. call to arms yep. to the audience, yep. whether you, that's you in your car or with your CD player or at your record player or at a concert yep. like pick it up like let's like this is a drum circle or Mm -hmm. whatever Mm -hmm. you know a collective action of of creating together and to but then to to talk about that collective (laughs) action of creating together not only is is the audience being invoked to do it but me without you as a group has done this brilliantly well because we've already experienced in the music something that is then brought into the lyrics later so at the opening of the mm-hmm. song, we have individual notes on the guitar that are being plucked. It's this, all this stuff about the texture mm-hmm. we talked about right at the top of the episode. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to the first chorus, we'll be like torches. The guitar starts getting strummed in these big, heavy chords, and you feel the impact yeah. of that chorus hitting and how exciting that is. That's all already happened once. We come back to the individual notes, and then we get the second round of lyrics describing why pluck one string we've already heard this drama unfold mm-hmm. in the music without the lyrics needing to do anything yeah. about it and then it happens in the words later it's like the opposite of what you would expect where like you have a clever line and then like the music follows that line and does something that, that mirrors it but the story is being told in the opposite mm-hmm. direction also just a right, quick right. shout out to the tambourine because i didn't mention it earlier in uh <laughs> the second verse a tambourine comes in it's not in the first verse it's it's a good arranging sort of a, a subtle gesture anyway, just to make the second verse sound a little bit more exciting than the first one. But as I mentioned, yeah. um, near the end of A to B Life, we have this tambourine that comes in on Silencer, I think, mm-hmm. that immediately gives you this kind of churchy feeling. And you, and there's just a subtle taste of that in the background of this. There's a really, really cool move by whether it was Ricky or Brad Wood or somebody else in the band who decided to throw it in. Well, and when they do songs like this live, Aaron often sneaks off stage right before they play Mm -hmm. it. Oh, my God. In the Chicago show, he snuck off stage and he took too long. So they just kept playing the beginning, like the (laughs) opening. And then Mike, like, yelled into his microphone, like, 
we're playing torches together. <laughs> like, it was hilarious. And then Aaron comes out with his hands full of tambourines and sleigh bells, <laughs> like full, of, like he had wow. like two or three sleigh yeah. bell, like whatever, wow. whatever that item <laughs> is called in a tambour. And so he's just making so much noise. It, it was fantastic. Yeah, I love that. So what do y'all make of this coda at the end? Well, so before we get to the lyrics of that, the mm-hmm. the little musical interlude yeah. between this second, this chorus two and the coda, yeah. I think is really mm-hmm. interesting and also yeah. very much, you know, in line with the kind of thing that we were talking about in in the overview episode of the kind of post-rocky a guitar riff with the heavy reverb and delay kind of thing um and also the hand claps now yes. hand claps now i feel like are a bit people do them almost like ironically now, <laughs> now yeah. right yeah that no one really does hand claps seriously anymore i mean but so it's interesting to kind of think back like wow yeah this was like 18 years ago when hand claps were like a very cool thing to do in a song sure <laughs> Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. it just reemphasizes that togetherness that again, yes. the feeling of a pep yes. rally mm-hmm. that like we're getting amped up as a group. Nobody sits mm-hmm. in a gym by themselves and claps rhythmically to get excited about what they're about to do. <laughs> true. True. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, it, it's a collective action. I, like it's something all of it. Like I didn't bring my guitar to the show guys. Sorry, but I can clap along. Yeah. With you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a thing. Right. Well, and then it's, that's, it's such an interesting juxtaposition then with the lyrical content of the coda, right? Because the coda is all of a sudden this very sad, right? (laughs) Image of lyrically. Yeah. You playing the flute. Like it's, it's almost like the you now, right? Is back to being that door on your hinges in bed right they're alone Mm -hmm. again you played the flute no one was dancing you sang a sad song but none of us cried right and i mean it's interesting too to note that like you can't play the flute and sing at the same time right (laughs) so Uh these are either two different instances of this person trying to to do what the what the narrator what the vocalist had just said to do which is to take down the guitar and strum it right to play to to try to to create music to do something right that is going to create community and no one no one's on board in the coda what a weird twist at the end yeah it is but i think anyway aren't you unbearably sad the couple lines about being afraid and everyone's afraid and everyone knows it and then this moment are these peeking through of that mental health perspective that we've been talking about throughout this whole conversation of like, I get the point. I get the point of needing to share my light with other people. Like that sounds great and all, but when I try, I get this, I get this feeling of no matter what happens, no one's dancing. No one's crying along with me. And what do I have to live with? And then a terrible crash. Yeah. 
next yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> but what, one other thing about this transition from the end of the chorus into the coda is the word anymore, yeah. the way it's delivered. Mm -hmm. But we don't have to be afraid anymore. It, it, it's not quite hung out to dry like some lines are across their catalog, but it's a little listen more, to it yeah, yeah it's a little more bare and to me in an album that's full of all kinds of expressive anxiety in the way these lyrics are delivered the something about the way he says the word anymore is almost like it's just this rare moment of unmitigated joy that is about to come crashing a down a relief mm -hmm. or something yeah yeah Every, like yeah if you're afraid and I'm afraid and everyone's afraid and everyone knows it, but we don't have to be afraid anymore. And anymore implies anymore. an event. Something has happened, which has changed the situation that now we don't have to be afraid. Yeah. yeah. And what is right. that thing that's happened? So for me, I, in my, you know, whatever, what was I in 2004? I would have been 18, I think. So, you know, I'm, I'm at that, that age of life. Uh, I know everything. <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm listening to this album originally as, as, you know, as, as someone who is, has zero cultural context, except being in church and reading the Bible. And so everything, you know, goes back to this like stupid joke, you know, as your culture in, yeah. in Sunday school or whatever, like uh, what's, What's a brown animal that climbs a tree, eats acorns, and has a bushy tail? And all the kids say, Jesus. Like, it's like, uh, because that's the, yeah. you know, that's the answer to every question, right? So, right, right, right. all yeah. I can hear in this line, um, <laughs> all, all I can hear in this line, but we don't have to be afraid anymore, is the singular moment that has changed the situation why we don't have to be afraid is, is the coming of the Lord. And yeah. so. With that being the last thing we hear, that somehow Jesus has made a difference that wipes away this fear, then to go into the coda immediately, we get a, a variation on something that Jesus says that is the text of this that, that I want to read. This is going to sound weird, just like my Samson story sounds weird, but I, th I think it means more in its context. So here we go. Sure. The verse in question is, is Luke 732, if you all want to look it up, but here it is. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Jesus went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. And you say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Hmm. So the words that are in the gospel text here, Luke 7, 32, are we played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. Supposedly, 
thinking of the sort of mocking voices of children. He doesn't say mocking. I should say the voices of children sitting in a marketplace calling out to each other. It's like a game between them that he's comparing yeah. these religious authorities. So we have these people in a position of religious power around him. He's trying to think of what they're like. And it's like kids calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you. You didn't dance. We sang a sad song. You didn't cry. The lyrics for Torches Together end with an inversion of that. It's you played the flute. I don't know if that makes a big difference, but it's interesting that he words it that way. Oh, it is interesting. But no one was dancing. You sang a sad song, but none of us cried. So the you here, if you want to take your range of options, right? You could be God, I guess. It could be Jesus, specifically the incarnate son here on earth. It could also be just the religious leaders. I mean, if you want to take it literally, what the image that Jesus gives where these lines are taken from is that the religious leaders in this context are yelling out these words. So now... It's Aaron putting himself in the context of somebody who's maybe being uh, oppressed or feeling ostracized or somehow left out by the leaders within this faith community. That's that's been amped up this whole song about how great it is to be in this community together. Yeah. And then as soon as the thought of Jesus comes to mind and we don't have to be afraid anymore, he then sees this image of what Jesus had to say about this religious community And now he starts sort of muttering to himself about the people around him saying, you played the flute, but no one was dancing. You sang a sad song, but none of us cried. Like he's looking around this great thing. Everybody strummed the guitar, but he's looking and Mm. it's not working. Something isn't happening. They're, they're ineffective at what he was hoping this community would be. Yeah. That's man. That's so helpful. It really is. Yeah. Well, and, and the, you know, the, the, the sort of imagery of the children, you know, saying we played the pipe, you didn't dance, right? It's in some ways, it's like, you know, he's saying there's this kind of this criticism that's like unfounded in a way, right? Because then he follows that up with John the Baptist came and he wasn't eating or drinking. And you said he had a demon, right? But then I came, son of man came and, I was eating and drinking and you called me a glutton and a drunkard. Right. Yeah. So it's like, there's no pleasing you. Yeah. Right. You're, fu- you're going to find yeah. something wrong no matter what. And it's the person that is playing the instrument and singing, right. Who is in, in Luke, who's making the unfounded criticism or the arbitrary mm. criticism. So, yeah, I definitely, I, I think that that's a good reading. I think, and, and it, it also just rings so true Right. For anyone who's been in like a bad community situation, especially within a church where there's like there can be weird power dynamics in Mm -hmm. churches, weird political stuff, weird sort of like, you know, circling of the wagons. I mean, we're seeing this like all over American Christianity right now. I mean, the Southern Baptist Convention, especially. Right. Um, is like really circling the wagons around their uh, pastors and leaders who, you know, are doing terrible things and, and, and instead trying to like turn, turn the criticism onto the people who have been rightfully calling out the leaders, right? Which is what John the Baptist and Jesus are doing in the gospels. Exactly. Well, and it plays on the dynamics that didn't make any sense to me until I had kids, which is that these 
power plays that happen among adults in seats of real structural authority are childish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. The things that my yep. kids say to me and I, and I love them more than anything in the world, but like, you know, I can, I can walk into a room and I, like I walked past the chair on the wrong side and I get yep. chastised for it. Yep. 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 And if I would have walked on the other side, it would have been the same story. But that ha- like, like yeah. what like what a torturous situation when it's not like a three or four year old saying that to you, but when it's somebody who has like real power over your life in, in a exactly. in grown up environment. Right. Yeah. Now, all of this context really just has me thinking again, back to the kind of the foundation of the previous season. Because what we're going to see in the next song is this really, really complex deep dive into like struggling with fame Mm -hmm. and struggling with the self in in some really cool ways. And I can't wait to get there, but we're kind of getting here. Like, let's say that you, this person, I don't know what tense this is. All the, the you let's pretend the you, you played the flute and you sang a sad song is the narrator, the the kind of global narrator of all of this Mm -hmm. stuff that we're talking about me without you. So I did, I, Aaron did these things and I didn't get the response I was hoping for. What do I do with that now? And we kind of see that playing. Like I was hoping for this deep connection with community. And Joel, you were just saying all that stuff about living in a community, a potentially toxic community in a church. Well, another often, unfortunately toxic community that we see are music scenes, mm-hmm. you know, when a really big heroic person in a punk scene, it comes out that they were very abusive to people, other people oh, in the yeah. scene. You get wagons circling around that person and ostracizing them and, and everything in between. And I'm not going to make judgment calls on that. And thankfully there's no assertions of that with the me without you mm. community that I'm aware of, but it's an interesting thought of like, what if the self, what if the, this is just, self-referential again like i I, that's kind of my preferred reading in a lot of Mm -hmm. this is the the self-referential because aaron as he progresses he gets less and less critical of individuals other than himself yeah he might criticize a thought but not usually people Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. in the first album there's a lot of criticizing other people obviously but um I have one more weird thing about the end of this song, if y'all will indulge in a musical reference. An alternate reading of the text, besides what I just gave, where actually what Jesus said is he's using these words about the flute and the dancing and the yeah. sad songs being the church leaders. Again, not thinking so much about that. My instinctive reading of the song for years was always on the line, we don't have to be afraid anymore. Then I, I see the image of Jesus here. And then, then I imagine Aaron is addressing him, which also makes a kind of sense mm-hmm. at the end. You played the flute, like in, in your mission, in your ministry, but no one was dancing. We didn't get it. You sang a sad song. None of us cried. Yeah. Like, that's another yeah. valid reading at, at the end yep. that expresses a kind of disappointment with this church community around him. 
whether you read it that way or the other is a little bit immaterial to this weird quirk of this song that is unlike anything else on this album. And that is the fact that the song is in a pentatonic scale. Now I said at the beginning of the season in the overview episode that this album has basically no leading tones, which makes all the half steps we get kind of exciting and interesting. Anytime there's two notes really close together because it creates this little feeling of rubbing tension, but it's never that leading up to the home base again. It's always somewhere inside the scale that we have these half step yeah. motions. Those crop up in almost every song somewhere. And it's usually a, a really like piquant moment of musical texture. I love the way half steps play in this album. This song, from the moment that you hear that uh, harmonic sort of uh, feedback sound in the opening seconds up until this coda exists entirely in F sharp minor pentatonic, which includes these notes. It's, just, it's five pitches and, and you can follow it. You can sit at a piano and play an F sharp an A sharp, a B, a C sharp, F sharp, and you can just noodle around on those notes, and it sounds cool playing along with this song anywhere you go. Yeah. <laughs> a normal major or minor scale has seven notes instead of five, and then and then you make an octave by repeating the first note and you get it to the end again. So up until this moment, the five notes that we get are a form of an A, a B, a C, an E, and an F. The two notes we don't have until the coda are G and D. Mm. If you think for a moment about the traditional way that the name of God is invoked um, among some communities of, of Jews and Christians, both the way that Aaron at different times has spelled it out where he puts a G with a dash and a D because the name is so holy that you can't actually spell the whole thing. Then all yeah. of a sudden, when you look back through the whole song, <clears throat> despite all the cultural context that makes us think we're in, in a faith community here, you realize there's actually no mention of God anywhere in this song. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. He's just absent. And so you have all this rousing rallying cry of, communal togetherness and all this hope for what's possible and we'll be like torches and we'll be like guitar strings strumming together and and it's almost like this moment where he comes to this transparency and vulnerability and honesty of i'm afraid everyone's afraid everyone knows that we don't have to be afraid anymore it's like he's trying to like let them know the good news and as soon as he realizes that he's trying to tell them the good news it's like this, this chasm opens up that somehow in all this hope for this community that God actually has been unnecessary to the formation of this community and our attempt at togetherness. Mm. And the moment that he, that he realizes that D's and G's start oh, showing man. up and that's the only place, the end of the song, wow. that gesture that we hear in a lower guitar part is a C sharp to a D that comes up. And then in a higher guitar part, is an A down to a G sharp. So we get the two half steps that are possible in this key. We've had zero half steps at all in a pentatonic scale. It's all these very wide open sounding things. 
then we start feeling this tension creep in, but somehow that comes with the presence of G and D at the end Mm -hmm. of the song. And it, it changes the musical feeling at the same time that the words take this different cast and all that put together creates this weird sense that something fundamentally has shifted, that we're off to this rousing start and the song can't end in that happy place. And yet somehow God's absence has, has made the song feel one, one way Then to Aaron, this realization, God's presence in the end, if you want to think of it that way, has somehow put him downcast and lonely again. Mm-hmm. And that's not at all what he expected or wanted out of this. Wow. Wow. But it it also takes me back to what y'all were talking about with Kierkegaard earlier. Like, to be truly Christian is to act, not to sit and thinking about it. And it's almost like, if again, if Aaron is the person who is like, I'm trying to bring God into this situation to really make this community better. God was kind of already there. And he just wasn't seeing it the way he was expecting it to be seen. Another alternative possibility is to relate it back to the idea of mysticism that I was talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, this idea that like the mystic is the person who is seeking out God, right? And the truth and the revelation from God, the the essence of Christianity is really fighting for that. And that uh, oftentimes leaves a person alone, right? Because they, you know, the, the, Mm. the true mystical idea is something that is going to cut against the institution, right? It's going to produce conflict with the community. And it's not until other people start joining and following the mystic and dancing to their music and so forth. Right. That, um, that then eventually they become the new institution, right. In a sense. Um, Yeah. I want to say yeah. that I think that's actually the the story of this album. Yeah. yeah. I think there's actually a, a fairly uh, coherent narrative line that you can draw of an exciting community, a hard drop off into to loneliness and loneliness and despair that then builds into trying to form this new community by the end mm-hmm. again. And I, I'm excited to follow that story as we go through. Yeah. Yeah, I am too. Wow. I'm just going to throw this out there because it keeps popping up every time you talk about the mystics. So that follows that tracks with pretty much any uh, innovation that happens in society. It's the adoption curve on through, you know, the early adopters all the way through the laggards. Mm -hmm. And so if we're looking at that from like a Christian lens, for example, American society you know, the deists and the, and the humanists that started this country, some of them are Christian too, but, you know, they still had kind of the Protestant work ethic, like, baked into it. So yeah. even though they weren't necessarily all Protestants, they were still baking in this very Western post-Catholic mm-hmm. way of being. Yeah. And so the, 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 that, so the, like, 
like I have the Protestant work ethic, even though I'm not Protestant. So I guess you could call me a laggard in the sense of the adoption of <laughs> these concepts of the the right way to do things, right? And so that's it's very interesting. Just to, I I kind of want to keep thinking of that. Like if you if you Google adoption curve, you'll see this breakdown, and I bet it would track with a lot of the religious adoption of things that we're talking about now. A mystic or a person who's a naysayer about whatever thing. This is true for scientific discoveries, innovations in technology and societal change and whatever, good and bad, mind mm -hmm. you. You know, like the rise of fascism probably mirrors mm -hmm. that too. There's some initial horrible people and then a bunch of people think, oh, this is the right direction for society. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, yeah. So anyway, just wanted to throw that yeah. out there. There's so many ways to wrap this up and, and this is a two hour conversation now. <laughs> to to put this in the context of me without you's whole catalog one more time mm -hmm. because i think it's interesting to look at each album as repurposing the name of the band hmm. <laughs> that in a to b life we have me without you and if you forget the capital y it's this woman that he wanted to marry Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think in this album, we see by the end of this song, this drop off of from extreme togetherness to now me without you, the community, that there's this loneliness that comes over him Ooh. at the end. And yeah, and that's lovely. Yeah. yeah. And we, we talked about lovely. the differentiation. It takes like two people to even create like the sense of a self and mm -hmm. just want to, to call back to Martin Buber, who we talked about way at the beginning mm. of season one, I and thou that there's somehow this true relation that you can only be in when you're directly opposite somebody else and their fullness and your fullness yeah. in relation to each other. And it's just an interesting trivia point that in the book torches together, Amy Arnold mentions that Martin Buber stopped by the Bruderhof community he doesn't join it or anything, but he was curious what they were up to. And he came and visited and mm. she doesn't say anything about what he thought about it. It's just a cameo appearance of this figure who, who is, who's going to follow us, you know, and stop by our show every once in a while too. Yeah. Yeah. 